the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today, I'm going to talk to Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes was one of the generation of Irish DJs who got their start in pirate radio during the 1980s. Dusty started his radio life on the pirates when he was 13, with his first big job being on Sunshine 101. As mid-morning DJ on Sunshine 101, he was in competition with a fledgling Jerry Ryan show. When the pirates were shut down, he got his big break as the first DJ signed up for the commercial radio station at Atlantic 252 in 1989. As well as a large Irish audience, the station had an audience of almost 5 million in the UK at its peak. After five years with Atlantic 252, he moved to 2FM, where he was best known for presenting the Hotline program. While he was presenting the show, the time slot grew in popularity and was the first early evening show to break the 100,000 listener mark. While his on-air popularity soared in this period, he was also involved in on-air projects. As well as working on his production skills, he got involved in the internet early on, helping to launch 2FM's first website in the early 1990s. He left the cosy confines of Montrose in 2002 to found Digital Audio Productions, the first multi-service independent radio production house. In 2020, Dusty founded the Dustpod.ie. They help companies build brand authority through custom broadcast quality podcasts. Dusty Rhodes is an audio expert and podcast authority. Dusty has been creating podcasts since 2006. He is also a presenter of one of Ireland's longest-running podcasts, Tech Radio, which is 800 episodes in and still going strong. Through his company, Digital Audio Productions, Dusty founded the independent audio production industry in Ireland. The company produced music programs for commercial radio, magazine programs for RTE Radio, and full documentaries for the BEA Sound and Vision program. To this day, he remains the only independent producer to have won multiple gold awards at Ireland's annual radio awards. Welcome to the show, Dusty. Thank you very much, Simon. How are you today? Uh, very good. Very good, I have to say. Life is uh, is progressing nicely. Uh, we've just, we're coming out of COVID and, and, and things are starting to um, open up, which is good. Not as full as we would like it to be. And I may consider in the coming months of getting on an aeroplane. Wow, wow. wow. Yeah, I I have seen that. Uh, like, I've just moved to Alicante, and uh, I have seen, actually, on my Facebook, it's been popping up these targeted ads. It's like COVID tests for Ireland and all of this, and I'm like, wow, they're following me. They even know I can fly from Alicante now. <laughs> you've got to you've got to watch uh, uh, this Amazon and and Google and Microsoft. They know everything. They know everything. You're only here. You're only yeah. here a few days, and they're already targeting you with that. Yeah, but we we had that before. Like uh, when we initially got when the smart speakers came out, and they're just permanently sitting there. Like you know, and the thought was, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that they're permanently listening. And I'll tell you the reason why I bought them, because I looked at my smartphone and I went, I've had that for the last ten years. And that's been permanently listening to me as well. <laughs> you know yourself. It's like you... having a bad dog and then get another <laughs> bad dog as a companion. <laughs> it's very true. If if you don't mind, I'm going to steal that from you, or rather, I'll be inspired by you. You, you can have that. <laughs> I've uh, I I've gone down the smart route, and I have a lots of bad dogs in my house, all listening <laughs> and all ready to bite. <laughs> 
So Dusty, tell us, where are you? If would you can you can you say where you are in the world or you know? Uh, well, long story short is kind of I'm halfway between Ireland and France. Okay. Uh, realistically speaking, I uh, took a gig in France for three months. And long story short was uh, I'm still here. And that's where I'm speaking to you from at the moment. But I'm very much still working in Ireland. So I'm one of these commuters. And actually, when you get into the expat community, you find uh, that there is an awful lot of people around you who commute to work either back in Germany or the Netherlands or the UK or in Ireland. There's quite a few of us that will do that. Um, but with online working and stuff like that, it's great because you can do one week here, one week there or whatever it happens to be. Um, I'm in a more fortunate situation in that I run my own company, so I've got plenty of people working for me, uh, and I tend to go back once a month. Brilliant, brilliant, yeah. Because I, I even find that for me, when I, some people say to me, oh, did you start the podcast because of COVID? And I said, no, no, I always kind of had a thing about maybe doing something like this. And then at that time, I said, you know, I'm going to do it now and see how it goes. And uh, But the, some people say to me, oh, well, how... Like, how can you do it? Because you're, you're like the people you're interviewing are in Ireland or England or America and you're in Spain. And I'm saying, well, that's the way it is. And actually, it's better for me because, you know, obviously, when you're doing it online and you're doing it over Zoom or webcast or whatever, you know, you have a bit of an advantage because you can track down guests a little easier. Because if I see a guest in America, I'd like to interview. I'm not going to hop on the plane. So this is a little bit easier for me. Very much so. And you know what? It also makes it a very uh, efficient time-wise for both yourself and the guest because you don't have to go to a recording studio. Uh, it also opens up the amount of people that you are able to talk to. And it also makes scheduling a time to have a chat uh, very much more convenient for, for everybody. You're not stuck with the constraints of either 9 to 5 or within the same time zone, which is fantastic. So there's a lot. there are a lot of pluses to it, yeah. Yeah, and the thing, the only disadvantage, obviously, sometimes if I'm interviewing somebody in LA or in, in Colorado and they're like nine hours ahead and I'm thinking, okay, so it's like 10 o'clock at night for me and half 12 in the morning or half 12 in the PM for you. So sometimes it like depends where you are. In Europe, it's pretty good. It might be an hour or two hours. But in America, you have to kind of watch the time zones. Yeah, and of course, the, uh, the clocks change at the <laughs> different times to Europe. Exactly. It's been forward, fall back and stuff like that. Like, you know, so you've got two weeks where it's completely out of kilter. <laughs> and do you, know what I, do you know what I found? And this is what drives me nuts. And people who work internationally will understand this is the likes of Zoom and Microsoft, uh, Microsoft Teams and all of these scheduling software. They will send an email to the other person and tell them what time the meeting is, is at in their time zone. But they don't actually tell you that it's your time zone. Yes. So I went through for like, you know, kind of two or three months or whatever, just trying to get in touch and talk to people at the start of COVID. And everyone was kind of getting into this Zoom call, stuff like that. Um, and I, I lost counting amount of times I got text messages going, are you not coming to the meeting? And I go, but the meeting's not until 11 o'clock. And I go, yeah, it's now. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, how did I? And it was because. I was actually converting the time that it had given me in local time yes. to the time where they were local time. Do you know what I mean? So say it was between Ireland and, and Central European time or something like that. I'd be thinking to myself, okay, so it's 11 a.m., which means that it's 10 a.m. in Ireland. Okay. 
So then 10 a.m. would would arrive here with oh whatever they were. So I'm confused already. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I have to give that reminder. Like when I send people, let's say the the Google Calendar invite or whatever I send them, and I say you know it says on um, let's say 11 a.m. in the morning, and I always put down on the note. Just remember, this is 10 a.m. Irish time, just in case. So it is. It can be tricky, you know. It can be tricky. That's, that's why we have that phrase. To be sure, to be sure. <laughs> to be sure, to be sure. Yeah, and I mean, once you're in around the hour or so, it's not so bad, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so tell us, you said there you commute. So did, like, once COVID came in, did that kind of, obviously it stopped your commute. So how did you change things up? Did you did you say, okay, I'll jump on the virtual bandwagon? Was it a big, big challenge for you? Um, yes and no, uh, because I was already in the routine of doing my work when I was in Ireland. So I didn't have to work online. Uh, but the fact that I wasn't even able to get back once a month or, or once every three weeks or whatever meant I had to do some things online. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we do is management. So kind of, we just make sure that things are ticking over and it's only if there's an emergency that we really need to kind of get in. And I was just keeping my fingers crossed <laughs> for a long time. Uh, and any emergencies that did crop up, I mean, we have people on the ground in Ireland who are able to handle it and stuff like that. So kind of, I, I got through it fine. You know? um, but I'm just missing being on the ground. Has it changed then the way you will run the business? from this day forward, so to speak? I mean, you know, even if you can commute and you have the same privileges again with travel, do you think that you still will say, no, the way we're doing it now is efficient? Uh, I believe I, I'm old-fashioned and I believe that the personal relationship is really important and meeting people and seeing people and eyeballing people and shaking their hands is still very important. Uh, the great thing with COVID is, and all this meeting and working from home, I mean, it's amazing. It's fantastic. I love it. And I welcome it with open arms. But I don't want to see a world where that's all we do. I think having a mix and some kind of a hybrid is excellent. So for me, uh, it's great. I will actually probably not have to travel as much because I will be able to meet people face-to-face uh, -face, and now they will be more used to doing an online meeting or whatever happens to be. Uh, the other thing where things have changed, certain we've lost certain gigs because of uh, COVID, because people just went out of business. Um, and we've kind of gotten into podcasting. But podcasting, again, is uh, great because we are using more and more contractors as we go along for uh, doing all the editing and the production and stuff like that. Uh, we're hiring a lot more people uh, to act as presenters. So essentially, kind of now when I'm back in Ireland, I'm going to meet the clients and I'm saying, all right, here we go, blah, 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 and these are the plans, blah, blah, and blah, blah. and then I meet with uh, our, the, the people who are working for us, and I give them the plan, and then they go off and do it. And then I can just kind of monitor it for, uh, from afar, if, if you like. But I always have that in, in my head, that when I got to a certain age, I didn't want to be working full time. Uh, I've kind of or just organized my life like that, or I've always had that in mind, do you know what I mean? When I get to that age, I don't want to be working. So that means that I need to do this and I need to do do, 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 do and whatever. You know? Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting point because I, I saw an article on LinkedIn or something yesterday and uh, they were talking about, you know, DJs, about knowing the right time to leave or to go, you know. So I think as, as a, you know, working person, no matter what industry you're in, 
if you're, you know, a bricklayer or, you know, a plumber, a carpenter or a radio presenter, you have to probably know the time that your skills are still valuable and you have experience, but you don't want to be carrying the load and you want to be more distributing the load and you want to be saying to people, okay, I've done all that. You can do it now. I will direct you. But now is the time for me to exit out the side, you know? Well, I've always said um, to people around me is that nothing lasts forever. And actually, it's kind of funny because today with, with kids, um, people, I tend to go from job to job. Do you know what I mean? I've done two, three years of that company, seven years of that company, and I say, I'm moving on. Like, you know, Before, I mean, in our parents' time, you would probably start a job and stay there for 40 years. Uh, then the next generation came along and went, well, you know, maybe 10 years there and then I might move on and then I might start my own business or whatever. Now it seems to be that people are in for three, four or five years and they get bored with the gig and they move on. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what I always say to people, the first piece of advice I always say to anybody, take 10% of your salary after tax and put it into a bank account that doesn't have a debit card or a credit card or a pin number or anything the, the kind of account that you have to go into the branch in order to make a withdrawal put 10 percent of your money in there and it takes just a, not too long but just a little bit to make it and it becomes like another bill and then suddenly you say all right well, and then suddenly you start thinking well that's what i have to live on for the month all right and then you forget about it and then all of a sudden like you remember and you go must have a look and see what's in there and you have a look and you go holy gee <laughs> i'm not touching that and then you might think that you know well i'm going to spend that on a big holiday or a big birthday or a big thing and then when it comes along you tend to kind of go no i don't, I don't want to waste it <laughs> Do you know I mean? no i and it's good that because i mean it doesn't and nowadays obviously we're a bit more savvy about investing and all these kind of things so it's good when you put something in, even if it's small, and then you see it grow a little, and then you go, actually, let's leave that there as a little nest egg. Well, do you know what it buys you? And it's not necessarily that it's a, a nest egg. It's an emergency fund, a rainy day fund, right, that people have had for years, right? And the good thing about having that is that it buys you choices. Because it's not a case of if, it's a case of when life throws you a zinger. Something terrible is going to happen, and you're going to go, ugh. And if you don't have money in the bank or something like that that's sifted away, you are in big trouble. Do you know what I mean? If you get unwell, if suddenly you're unemployed um, when you didn't plan to be, uh, if there's an illness in the family, whatever. There's so many different things that, that could happen. When you've got money, you don't panic. And when you don't panic, you make completely different decisions. Of course. better ones. Yes, and for sure. You're, you're perfectly right there because... If you have something to fall back on, even if you don't want to touch it, but it's there, you can say, OK, well, look, you know, let's make a calm, rational decision. We have that, you know, put aside. Let's use that. Or even you have two or three different things put aside and you say, we'll use a bit of that. Let's not close the accounts out. Let's use a bit of each and take what we need. And as you said, get over this zinger. Exactly. And it doesn't hurt as much that way. Does it? No, no. <laughs> but, but I think that's about... That's what we learn as we get older, isn't it? Learning yeah. from these life experiences. Because if you try to tell that to your kids or to younger people, sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, but, but what about I want to get all these things. But then as we get older, we realize everything's materialistic and you don't really need all this stuff. There's only certain things you need. And then you go, and when I have all this stuff, I mean, look at all the people that have bought things, expensive things. 
and then they run out of money or they go bankrupt and then they have to sell them for a third of their value. So, I mean, that has happened to people all their lives. And what can you do then? How good are these products then? Uh, they're only things, as you say. And, you know, you can't really resell them for anything of, of like what they're worth. No, nothing, nothing. So, come here, let's let's go back a little. We'll, we'll go back in time a little. Not the Michael J. Fox style, but the Simon K. style, you know. And uh, we will um, we'll talk about your early life. So, where did you grow up? I grew up on the north side of Dublin in Clontarf. Um, the secondary school I went to was St. Paul's in Rahimi. And the only reason I say that is because uh, quite a few radio people went there. Yeah, that's uh, Jerry Ryan's territory, isn't it? That's Jerry Ryan's school. Um, who else went there? Uh, PJ Gallagher went there, comedian. Um, Marty Whelan went there. And I went there. And you went well, there. Dusty Rhodes. Forget Dusty about the rest Rhodes. of them. I mean, you have to... Yeah, because it, it's quite interesting, isn't it? The alumni from that school went on to become jocks, radio jocks. There seems to be a little click. Do you know what else there's a little click? It's up in Glasnevin Avenue. Whatever it was about Glasnevin Avenue, right? Uh, Dave Kelly, uh, who was the program director of FM 104 for many, many years, uh, is from that area. Who else? Aidan Leonard, who's in RTE. Um, uh, Niles Mahoney, who was yeah, uh, Mahoney, yeah. FM 101. Um, Ian Dempsey is from around there. Barry Lang is from around there. Uh, Tony Fenton was from around there. Like, I mean, literally that one avenue. Yes. They were all yes. from around that uh, part of the world. And so was uh, uh, Bono, funny enough. Yes, yes. Bono was the odd one out. He's, yeah, because he's the only international rock star. The rest of them made it to be DJs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you look at it, all the other ones are playing Bono's music, but Bono's not playing their music. Bono's <laughs> the only one who has to make music for a living. God love him, the poor thing. <laughs> the poor thing. He gets a lot of a lot of flack, but it's not too bad when you have when you have his bank account. I suppose you yeah, know. This is it. This is it. This is it. Like, so, you know, so, so, so you went to school there, and obviously, you know, what kind of kid were you growing up? Were you quiet, or were you in your bedroom on the, you know, practicing to be a DJ? What, what was your life like? I always wanted to be a DJ since I was, I don't know, knee-high to a grasshopper. My dad was working in the radio section with Dardy, and he was trying to show me the technical side of things. So, you know, the transistors and the resistors and the, the wadding patrols and the speakers and the antennas and all this kind of like. And I just kept saying, what, what's that voice coming out? That sounds interesting. And they're playing music. That's amazing. So I was kind of always into that. And then... I suppose when I was a kid, early teenager, whatever, uh, we were really seeing the explosion of pirate radio in Ireland at the time, which, which is essentially kind of, there was no mechanism for licensed local radio in the country. The only thing was RTE Radio 1, and that was it. And in 1979, um, there lots of pirate stations were proliferating, proliferating, pardon me, and RTE responded by doing a music station that played music most of the day and took the best of the DJs from the Pirates, essentially, is what they did. And that's where Jerry Ryan and Marty Whelan and uh, Ian came along a little later. Who else was in there? Jim O'Neill was, I think, in from, from day one. Uh, Larry Goldman, of course. Um, and, but the, legally, you had RT Radio 1 and 2FM, and that was it. So there were all these pirate stations that were, were proliferating, and everybody was just literally making it up as they went along. And to buy transmitters, I remember you would have to go, you'd have to buy these 
eight or seven valves, I think there were, because medium wave was the thing at the time. Yeah. Um, you would have these valves, and then they had a thing called a coil, which always amused me because essentially what it is, it's a piece of heavy wire that is wrapped around a cylinder, okay? And it performs a certain function. But in order to make this cylinder, a lot of the pirate stations use a wooden rolling pin. <laughs> right? This is part of an electronic transmitter. Yeah, yeah, it's pumping yeah. out a kilowatt of sound and stuff like that. And quite often these transmitters will be homemade. And I was touring all of these radio stations at the time as a child, right? Like 13, 14 or whatever. And they would say, and here's the transmitter. And they'd open up a, a room and literally on the floor, there'd be bits of electronics and biscuit tins and wires and stuff like that. It was it was just insane. And would they would they pin like a big aerial or mast to the, the roof antenna, or what they would do is they would, it would be a long wire antenna. So they would string it up at the top of the building and then down to the back of the garden or something like that. And the signal would then radiate off that antenna, which caused complete chaos with all of the telephone systems of anywhere nearby. Like, you know, but as I say, everyone's kind of um, making up as they went along. Wow. So, uh, so I visited these and then one of these radio stations, very dodgy place down on Eden Key. And I was in having a look and somebody came in and went, are you, uh, uh, looking for a gig. And they said, all right, where have you been? And he says, I did a bit in Radio Dublin and I did a bit somewhere else. He goes, can you do Thursday nights at 5 p.m.? And he goes, I can't. Right, you see on Thursday. And I was like, looking around. And you asked what kind of a kid I was. I was a kid with a very thick neck. <laughs> so at that, at, that age, at that age, you were in your 12, 13, were you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely suckered, suckered into it at that stage. And that's I knew that's what I wanted to do. Nothing else. And... I looked up at this guy and I said, uh, can I get a gig? <laughs> and he looked down at me and he went, uh, uh, send me a tape. <laughs> so so what? I went, he wants me to send him a tape. So I sent him in a tape and for whatever reason, and I think it's because people would normally have a hangover on a Saturday or a Sunday morning that they got me to do Saturday or Sunday mornings <laughs> from seven to nine or seven Ex to ten. Explain, explain to us so this process when you were that age and you went home and you got like probably a tape recorder out and were you playing vinyl records or cassettes in oh, the back, vinyl, in the background? Right? All vinyl. So you had a vinyl turntable. And you would announce the song and play the record and record it on the cassette. Is that how you do it? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, and off I, I don't even remember exactly right. how I did it, but I remember. Yes, in my room, I certainly had uh, two turntables. I was buying records, lots of records, and uh, I had the cassette machine. So that and that's how I recorded my my shows. When you would do that, obviously you weren't connecting the output of the or were you were you connecting the output of the record player or was it just catching it over the air ah, simon you're getting into wiring instructions now i haven't a clue <laughs> i'm just wondering because what i'm thinking is you know like that when i was talking to one guest before and we were talking about putting the bits of paper with the sellotape and the old cassette tapes you know to record the radio everyone used to do that and um you know and and you'd or you'd be like your sister would come in and say you better not be recording over my Bananarama uh, cassette tape. And you'd be like, no, no, no. And it'd be all scribbled out and you'd have Tony mm -hmm. Fenton's top hits or whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I did a bit of that, of course, because I couldn't afford to buy every record that was going. And But what I was able to do was 
place in Moor Street in Dublin, and you could go in and you could order five minute long cassettes. Okay. Just enough for one song. And you would be doing exactly as you said, you'd be listening to the radio, to the chart show, and as soon as that song would play, you'd start recording it, and then at the end, then you'd hit the stop button. And you knew then on that cassette, there was that one song, and that was it. And you know, we used to curse the DJ. He'd stop talking like it is just, you know, Take On Me by Aha would come on. And he'd say, here's Take On Me by Aha. And next minute you'd press, you'd press record. And he'd say, in, in right 25 seconds later, currently number one in the English chart. And he'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize here and now. No, but, yeah, but, 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 <laughs> but I always wondered, were, were the radio station thinking, everybody's recording this now, so speak afterwards. <laughs> ah, right. No, no. Radio, the radio stations, I can assure you, didn't care. They didn't care. <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you were 13, then you basically kind of started, you sent in the tape. Did it take them long to get back to you? Uh, oh, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, maybe a week. And, and that's when they said, can you do Saturday and Sunday mornings? And I said, yeah. And um, I had to tell my dad, because he was a guard. And here's a 13-year-old son going, I'm going to be breaking the law by broadcasting. Ah. So, um, anyway, he was actually very good. My parents were, were both great. They were both extremely supportive of myself and my siblings on anything that we wanted to do. They were terrific uh, parents. Um, but, uh, no, I did. I started then and kind of just started going from station to station. I can't remember why. I think that's just the way it worked. Stations opened and stations closed or they moved studios or whatever. And I remember being driven out to Lucan at one stage to some station out there. Uh, so that was kind of, that was just building up my experience. Then I knew that's what I wanted to do. Leaving Cert was coming. Utterly bored at school. Uh, career guidance uh, counsellor, you know, you go in for the meeting about now, this is what we recommend for you. I walked in, he went, there's no point in talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I like your playlist. <laughs> he goes, we know what you want to do, and you seem to know how to get there, so get out of my office. <laughs> so, uh, so I was doing all the school discos and all that at this stage, like, you know. So, uh, but anyway, about three months before the leaving search, um, as it turns out, just like my dad, and I didn't, I didn't find this out until long after I did it. But uh, I decided to leave school <laughs> three months before the leaving search to take a job that paid uh, a very handsome one pound per hour, as you'd recall, down in Bulligar in uh, in County Westmeath. That was a radio station called Radio West, and that broadcast to um, kind of anywhere between Galway and Dublin, really, you know, kind of Midlands area. So I did that for a couple of months, and then uh, there was another guy that I knew, and next thing was I heard him on this radio station, a big radio station at the time called um, Sunshine. Uh, Sunshine One, well, it wasn't Sunshine One One at the time. But I was well aware of both of those radio stations because, again, as a kid, like, you know, I used to go to Herbert Street to Radio Nova. Uh, and everybody has their own favorite radio station when they look back in time. And for me, that station was Radio Nova, 88 FM, clutter free, just it was the first thing that was on FM. The quality was astounding. They played lots of stuff from the States, good tunes from the States that you didn't get anywhere else. Um, and it was just, you know, completely different from anything that had come before it. And I was also out in Sunshine Radio. And for whatever reason, I just made it my business um, to get to know the people in Sunshine. Anytime I was in town, that I would go into the office of Sunshine and I would go into the office of Nova. So I, I kind of knew the pair. But in Sunshine, I was passing one day 
and I said, I'll go in and I'll see if there's any gigs going. And as it turns out, I said, uh, Robbie Robinson, who's the managing director and the owner of the radio show, I said, I know Robbie's not here, but I just thought I'd call in and make sure he's back next week. And they go, oh, no, he's here. Do you want to see him? Uh, 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 okay. So Robbie came out and had a nice chat and he was very nice to me. Uh, he said, no, nothing going. Uh, no worries. I'll, I'll keep in touch. I might send you the tape or whatever. And he goes, okay, do that. And then literally as I'm walking out the door, he went, there might be this one thing overnight on a Saturday and you only get to talk once an hour. <laughs> and I went, I'll take it. It was the, it was one of the things that Sunshine and Nova were the two biggest radio stations. And here's me all of a sudden. I'm one of them. Now, admittedly, it was from midnight on Saturday night until 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I only got to talk once an hour, but it didn't matter. I was in the door, and I was getting to know all of the people in the radio station and how it worked. And sure enough, within a couple of months, uh, a break came up on daytime, and I ended up getting it. And next thing, I'm doing mid-mornings on, on Sunshine as an 18-year-old. Wow, that's really great. Hmm. And it, it just shows you, when if you're in the right place at the right time, Sometimes even with your back turned walking out the door, you can get that nod. I always say to people, if you want something, just go for it. Because there is something weird about the way the human mind and the universe works. The way I, I see it is that if you have a picture of what it is you want, you just have it really clear and you can see it. Subconsciously, you are making a billion different tiny little decisions which somehow end up at that destination. And I've heard that story where people have said, oh, I had the very picture of the house that I wanted. And, you know, for years I had a picture of it on my on my fridge and we moved here, we moved there. And then eventually, and I won the lottery or whatever. They didn't win the lottery, but literally. Um, but they made a lot of money and they ended up seeing a house exactly like the one that they wanted. Uh, they bought, they moved in, they took all of the boxes from all of their houses over the years. And as they were unwrapping, they found that picture of the house that was on the fridge that was the dream house. And realized that was the actual house that he had bought because it's all in the back of the mind you know what i mean from 20 years it's all in the head 20 years i'd love a house like that and 20 years later he's living in that exact house i was a, a 12 year old and i went i want to work on rte2fm coming at you as was back in the day and that was my goal in in life and what i wanted to do so there's kind of just something about that and it's the, it's it's the little things the, the best way i can describe it is I just happened to be walking past the office of Sunshine. I said, ah, I'll go in, <laughs> you know? And it just so happened that if I'd just gone on, I said, no, he won't be there. I've got too many important things. Not a, I wouldn't have done it. And who knows how, how would it turned out? But anyways. Well, but, but I mean, that's the good thing. And as you said, from that, you know, small slot on the pirate station and then obviously going on to Sunshine, and all of those things, they're all progressions. And, you know, we, we can take knocks in life and we can be turned away. But if you keep plugging away, you'll get there. And it's, you know, it's a, sometimes it can be a very steep stairs, but you can still climb it. Oh, absolutely. Nothing is impossible. Like, literally nothing is impossible. I look at some of the richest people that we have on the planet. Uh, Steve Jobs, well, obviously he's not with us anymore, but Steve Jobs was the son of an Iranian immigrant. And ended up, you know, the CEO of Apple. Um, uh, Jeff Bezos is also uh, the son of an, an immigrant, I think. Um, and literally started his business and just through grit. Now, I think these people had a lot of, they must have had a lot of smarts. But they had no backing and they didn't have the silver spoon in their mouth. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Richard Branson. 
a fascinating story. I read his book and like kind of back in the sixties, he literally had nothing. You know, he just he just had a pipe dream and loved music, and, and that was it. And look at him now. And this is what I'm laughing at is that Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson are now vowing to be the first billionaire in space. Exactly. It's now we're not just talking about being billionaires. We're talking about being billionaires in space. Yeah, exactly. So, like you know, anybody can literally do anything they want. Obama is a. I, I started reading his book, and then oh my god, he goes on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Barack. The book is so thick, like you know. What I mean? Um, but again, he started out with next to nothing. I mean, he was a kid in Hawaii, in the middle of the Pacific. You know, somehow he ended up, and I think there's a little bit missing from the book. Of course, because <laughs> it seems to be like you know, oh, I just kind of ended up in Chicago, living in a bedsit, and then I met Michelle, and then I was, uh, you know, the mayor of Chicago, <laughs> or, or, the, or the senator, or whatever he was. Like, it's you know? <laughs> it's selective editing, isn't it? <laughs> it might be, but the point is, is that we all arrive on planet Earth with literally nothing, and many of us don't have backing. Uh, through through our early years or our formative years, and it is literally down to you and the decisions that you make for yourself that dictate how you get on in life. How many people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and end up being complete crackpots? Mental case. And you know the other thing as well. The the thing that I like about nowadays. One time in the past where people would say, oh, you know, you have to be young to make it in that industry or you have to be this, you have to be that. That's gone now a little bit. I know like to be a pop star and everything you have, it's better to be young and have that image. But the great thing about working in this kind of industry, podcasting, radio broadcasting, whatever like that, it's never too old. to You're never too old to start. And the thing is, once you have a voice, once you have something to say, there are people that want to listen. And as you, we mentioned earlier before we came on air there, everybody loves a good story nowadays and they love stories of motivation. And the thing is now, you doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, 60, you can still do it. You still have time. Have you seen that movie, The Founder? Uh, it's the story of Ray Kroc, who's the guy who, I, I like to say, the guy who stole McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah essentially there, there were the two mcdonald brothers who started the burger uh, chain and ray Kroc was a traveling salesman he was selling i think uh, you know ice cream machines or something like that and he rang the mcdonald's they were one of his customers he said i think there might be a mistake in the order because it says here that you need six ice cream machines obviously nobody needs six ice cream machines how many do you need and i'll bring them over and they went no, we, we need six. And uh, if you can bring eight, that'll be fantastic. And he went, I've got to go see these people, okay? So after several scenes early in the movie of him driving up to all these burger places, the drive-in burger place, he was sitting there waiting 20 minutes for somebody to come out with his burger. And I, I mean, he rocks up to the, the very first McDonald's and he sees the queue and he goes, ooh, this is interesting. He walks up to the counter and he goes, okay, I'll, I'll have the burger, fries, and give me a Coke on the side and I'll, what the heck, I'll have an ice cream. And your man goes, okay, that'll be $2, whatever. And he goes, pays the money. And just as he's about to walk away and wait, the guy goes, there you go. And he went, what? That's your meal, sir. <laughs> and you can see in his face. Okay. Anyway, the point of this story is that he was amazed when he saw this and what the guys were doing. Okay. He was in his early 50s and he had a little bit of experience and he had a lot of ambition behind him and he wants to make money. Whereas the two guys who were looking after McDonald's, they just wanted to make burgers. 
and they wanted to do it as best they possibly and they did an amazing job but they weren't interested in expansion whereas Ray Kroc went you've got an amazing idea an amazing process and da, da, da. I've got a bit of experience in this let's see if we can make it work and, and it grew and it grew and grew and grew yeah, and the businessmen, the businessmen always come out of those things on top because you've seen with so many companies, they'd say, well, actually, those guys are the original founders and they never made that much money. Exactly. But anyway, there is a dark side to that movie and it is a very interesting tale, uh, not just for business, but I think just for human nature. Yeah, I have to watch that now. It sounds like a good recommendation. So so listen, um, so then after Sunshine, okay, mm-hmm. So you next that was Atlantic two five two. Atlantic two five two. I was just very lucky in that somebody put me in touch with a, an agent. Nobody had an agent at the time, um, but anyway, this guy used to work in RTE. And again, my hat on my. I want to work in RTE. I want to work in two FM. I want to. That's where I want to be. So I went and I met this agent, and he said, "Oh, well, look, I'll try and I'll get you something, whatever. Uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll give it a couple." So he sent me for an interview with uh, Atlantic 252. And as it turns out, Atlantic 252 wanted to do the exact format that Sunshine Radio had been doing for a couple of years in Dublin, which was phenomenally successful. So they were kind of going, this guy knows the format. He's done it. They were successful. We'll have him. And I had been offered two other jobs at the time with the the two big local stations in Dublin. Um, But I took the job with Atlantic for, for two reasons. The one was they were offering twice the money because it was a big national station in the UK. And the other reason was that it was half owned by RTE. Oh, I never knew that. So Atlantic Atlantic 252 was like heavily invested in by RTE. Absolutely. Radio Tower Limited was the uh, the company name. And it was half owned by RTE and uh, the people who owned Radio Luxembourg. And it was targeting the UK market. And the whole idea was play nonstop music. Even though it's on long wave, people just want to hear nonstop music without all the ads and the, and the lost dog stories and all that kind of stuff you were getting on local radio at the time. Uh, we just play the hits, bang it out, and uh, charge a, a whole load of pipe, pipe load of money for uh, advertising. And it, it was phenomenally successful, 252. It was phenomenally successful in Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and anywhere north of, I'd say, probably Luton. But because the signal into London was just that little bit too far, it meant that we weren't getting into the ears of the people who worked at the ad agencies. So we were always seen as, you know, uh, one of those regional stations outside of London or outside of Dublin, as, as, as we would have done here in Ireland. Um, but it was a fantastic radio station to work on, and I did exactly what my plan was, and that was to go into the RTE Music Library <laughs> to, get, to get records that we didn't have at Atlantic 252 for whatever feature. I can't remember. It was just a whole lot of them. Was there a lot of flexibility between like the, the archives and sharing because RTE were involved with it? No, not really. Not really. But I just I went out of my way to, to make it that way. That was it. I just kind of went, all right, well, look, we need that song. We don't have it. Uh, RTE half on us. They've got a huge library. I, I have to go in and I have to. And of course, I would then, the trick with RTE is you just sit in the canteen and you just say hello to them. Okay. And that's exactly what I did and eventually got to know a few people there and then something came up and I had been saying, I'd love to work here, I'd love to work here. And somebody went, something's come up at the weekends. I don't know if you want to ditch your full-time gig or if you want to do this. And I had a conversation with the boss and we came to a, an acceptable deal for everybody and I was in the door in RT. Wow, brilliant. And 
here's the thing, right? When you're, you know, explain to us the process of being a DJ at that time. So, for example, on your team, you have the radio producer, you have a radio programmer, you have the DJ. So was like, was there a team of three or four for each radio show, an engineer as well, maybe? And also, did you did you have a lot of input into what was played and the format and everything? It all depends on the radio station. Uh, if, you, if you're asking all those kind of questions, I'll try and give you uh, the various different stages. It's 60 seconds each. Okay. 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 So when I started off in the pirate stations in the mid-80s, you could literally do whatever you want. You were given the time and you're on at that hour and just entertain people. You buy your own records, all that kind of stuff. Then when I moved up the ladder to Sunshine, uh, that was more organized and they had what was called a program director and it was his job to select the music which went on the playlist and everybody just played what was on the playlist and that was it you had no choice you could not add any records or anything that you ever wanted um and i used to kind of hate that because i wanted to play my own music then we went to atlantic and because that was very similar that was exactly the same you had a program director he picked all of the songs and literally all the music you needed was in the studio it was either on a tape or a cd and that was all that you, you played. And then I went to the Holy Grail, the Big Mama. I went to RT2FM. And it was, <laughs> I come back to Pirate Radio. It's like, you're on for those two hours, entertain people, do what you want. It was quite funny. There was a producer on the program. Um, and then, oh, yes, yeah, so the other thing I was going to explain was those Atlantic and Sunshine were very much more hands-on radio stations. So while you were on the air, you would also be the person answering the phone to listeners uh, and you would be doing other uh, various uh, bits and pieces. But the, the reason was you would answer the phone and you'd be recording all the calls. And then when you got a good one, you'd put that one out on air. Very simple because you want the best to go out on the air. Um, and that's why you answer the calls yourselves. Whereas when you went into RTE, oh my God, no, you can't do that. We need an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> but but it made the job a little easier then, no? For, um, no, not for me because you you can't have that one on one connection with people. You know, when you've got an engineer who's like, uh, "Hello, yes, hold there, now I'll put you through," blah, blah, all that kind of it ruins it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And um, whereas a lot of people got such a shock because they would call. Can you can imagine? Even if it happened today, people would be shocked. All right, imagine if you rang Liveline, all right, and the phone is going, and it's like. Uh, hello, Joe here. <laughs> <laughs> you what would you, get what, a shot. What? All right, it's like you, Joe, like yourself. Uh, and, and you know, and you get such crack with that, like you know, and you'd have that, like catching people off in the hop and stuff like that. And you have a great bit of crack, like with people on the phone. And because you were recording it, it meant that you could go off on a bit of an angle. And like whenever we were doing giveaways, this is this is my my little secret when I was doing giveaways. Because when you're doing a giveaway, you want somebody to have a really big reaction, okay? So you've won £5,000 and you just want them to go absolutely bananas, okay? And the way I did it, because you, it doesn't necessarily always work with going straight from A, you've won, and then going crazy. You've got to build it up. So uh, we were doing one of these big giveaways. I think it was on Atlantic. We were giving away £5,000. I was on my show that was to give it away. Play the three songs to start answering the phone, start answering the phone, start answering the phone. And we got to the, the correct caller and we knew this was caller 252 is what we were looking for. And uh, I just started acting very blasé. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? Yeah, grand. I know you're through to Atlantic. This is Dusty here. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Oh, Jesus. This is amazing. Uh, what do you want, Simon? I'm calling for the competition. 
<laughs> I was at the one with the money. I want to win the five grand. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, I'm only winding you up, Simon. Of course you want to win the five grand. Now, listen, hang on there a second, because I don't actually know which caller you are. But I know you're near the end somewhere. And you'd be kind of go, what do you mean? Well, you could be 252 or you could be 250. I'm not sure. Hang on a minute. <laughs> and I call this. 248, 249, 250, 250. Oh, no, hang on. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you just leave silence for two seconds and you go, Simon, what? You call it 252. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember that because I remember that because. You know, it was you. You hear other DJs doing different variants of it, and it was that suspense and for the audience as well, wasn't there? It's entertainment. That's exactly what it was, like you know. But then you edit it, and you kind of go like, you know, so where, where are you from? All right, yeah, listen, Simon, I call it two five two, and nobody knew the the minute or two minutes of wind up, you know. And tell us, so here's a question for you because. When we hear, you know, the majority of radio shows and how many of them are actually live and how many are edited like and recorded an hour or two before? Oh, vast majority of radio is live. Vast yeah, the vast majority is live, especially with, with call-ins. I mean, you, you, you oh, know. Oh, they're always live. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So you, yeah, you're, you're relying on the audience to hear what's on the radio and then to react to it and call in. So like a lot of those would be live. Uh, with um, with the majority of radio stations in Ireland, anything from 6am through to maybe 7 in the evening, I would say is live on every radio station, everywhere. Um, it's outside of that because, you know, radio listening is not great in the evening. Oh, it's fine. There's no problem with that. So you can either continue to do your format that you do during the day with a smaller audience, or you could do some specialist shows or whatever. That's the kind of thing where you might have more recorded shows. Certainly overnight, nobody works overnight anymore. They're all recorded shows. Um, there's techniques now where you're able to um, do a thing called voice tracking, where you're able to record your show, but you only record the bit of speaking that you're going to do between the songs. So you could be looking at an hour-long show, and you say, well, I need to speak six times. So you just record those six speaking segments, and you're done for the hour. And you can have it done in 10 minutes. Wow. So, yeah, because everything now obviously is digital and with that voice tracking, you can just create the show and it sets itself up. Yes, exactly. You can do it. And it all depends. And there's a time and there's a place for it. And it all depends on the format of the radio station. You know, like if you're a particular music format or something like that, maybe that's that's the thing to do. Uh, but if you're a speech station, you absolutely have to be live. Um, I think News Talk do it as um, where they do a lot of repeats in the evening, don't they? Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. I think they do, like, you know, so they're just making the the best of what they have. But, you know, I don't I don't see anything wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's funny, I had, a, a few months ago, I had Pat O'Mahony, you know, the, the 2FM DJ. I know Pat well. He was explaining to me, obviously, how he got into his role and filling in for Dave Fanning, who was huge in 2FM at the time. So, I mean, it must be pretty difficult. As you said, there's DJs hanging around the canteen and everybody's trying to get a slot and they're like hoping somebody will be sick or something, you know? It's not like that at all, Simon. It's no, like no way. <laughs> <laughs> he says with a wry smile. <laughs> 
that was an idea I could develop yeah. <laughs> for, for my storytelling. <laughs> Barry Dogan was standing in that corner. Dave Fanning was talking to me. When's he going to go? When's he going to go? <laughs> I can imagine there's a few DJs going, younger DJs going, oh, he's sick. That's terrible. Have you anyone well, from the show? But you know what? In, in all seriousness, uh, one of the major problems in radio today is not the technology that we're battling against, and it's not like kind of the Facebooks and the social media that we're battling against, or YouTube or Spotify, where you can get nonstop music. Uh, the biggest problem in radio today is talent. It's, it's on two levels. Number one is that you have got people uh, who are doing shows who've been on the radio for 30 years. And they ain't going nowhere. And then you've got new people who are trying to come up the ranks and they're not able to come up the ranks because the people ahead of them are not going anywhere. So it's kind of almost back to where we were speaking initially and we were talking about people will stay in a job for two or three years and move on or 10 years and move on. In the radio industry, it tends to be that if you get a gig and it's a good gig, you just stay there. And, you know, and then the other problem with radio is that we're just not getting the fresh blood as i say like we're a lot working a lot more with contractors now but it's they're hard to find they really are hard to find yeah i i think what it is because you know it doesn't matter what kind of career you choose and you have to have a natural ability to do it and the thing is i mean it doesn't matter what profession there are people that are going to try it and do their damnedest and work hard but there's that natural bit of magic maybe they don't have and there's other people who maybe don't realize they have it. So I suppose nowadays in radio and in broadcasting in general, you can kind of stumble upon those people. But if you go out looking for them, maybe it's difficult to find because of the whole setup, the way it's done. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, there's an element of truth in that. Uh, and like the whole thing is, is, is changed. One thing that makes me cry sometimes is radio taking on influencers. I'm thinking, will we get them on the air? Whereas influencers are a completely different medium. Or the other favorite is taking people from television. Uh, and there's an adage that I heard in the States when I was traveling around there. And it's so true. It's kind of like radio people make great TV people. But TV people rarely make good radio people. Because they have come up with the whole thing of, let me show you this. Or this person is at the scene where they can show you blah, 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 or they're talking to you or whatever. It's a very visual medium, whereas radio is not. On radio, you need to be able to be concise, get your story across, no messing, maybe paint some pictures in people's heads and stuff like that. You take those skills to television and you make it better. But when you take somebody who's used to being able to go, hey, look, there it is <laughs> on radio, it doesn't work. They don't know what to do. Yeah, and even sometimes when you hear... And in particular, for example, in reality shows nowadays, you have continuity announcers and people, you know, narrating the show. And sometimes you hear some real gems. You hear somebody, you go, wow, they're absolutely brilliant. But then you hear somebody else trying to crack jokes and you're thinking they're not funny at all. Their, their humor doesn't come across. So not, I mean, and I've heard, I won't name names, but I've heard one or two DJs who have done continuity announcing. And thing is, their humor doesn't travel the same way. It's not it. It might work on television. So I think that's it. You have to find your niche, and it's difficult, no? Yeah, that is, but they're all different, different things. Do you know what I mean? And they're different media, and you tackle them in different ways. Yes, for sure. I mean, it is a difficult thing. And can I ask you then? Obviously, you know, 
when you go back to being a DJ and the the whole, let's say, when we look at the, the cheesy side, quotation marks of being a DJ where, you know, the, the radio stations want you to be, well, hello, welcome to the show, you know? Was there elements of that you had people have to dial down or to increase, I mean, to be a successful DJ? Do you have to turn it on a lot? No, no there's no prescribed thing in a book and what they would often say is that if you're going to be on radio be an exaggerated version of yourself which i thought was a really really good way of of describing it uh, a lot of people <laughs> uh, describe me as having a mid-atlantic accent which kind of like just annoyed me a little bit because of naturally naturally simon i didn't think about any accent at all being from dublin um but I got this mid-Atlantic thing, and I think it wasn't because I think it was because I was very influenced when I was growing up uh, in the eighties. I would have listened to a lot of tapes of American radio, and I just loved the way they did it, and I loved their pace and the kind of the way they'd say it. And because I mimicked and took a bit of that in as part of my act, people went mid -Amer or, or mid-Atlantic, especially journalists would say mid-Atlantic, get yeah, a real put down kind of thing. And then uh, it really made me laugh. I was doing some work in Cyprus. I was doing some work in uh, in uh, South of France, in Monaco. Um, and when I was on the radio in those places, people come up and go, I love your Irish accent. <laughs> and I go, well, I have an Irish accent now, do I? <laughs> I thought it was mid-Atlantic. So I, was... I have this picture of you on a raft doing your show in the mid-Atlantic going, what the hell is my accent? There you go. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> is this even a country? <laughs> yes, I'm close to Greenland. You know, <laughs> but and and also actually, you know, there's a couple of Dusty Roads, isn't there? Because there's a famous Dusty Roads DJ from America who has died now, and then there's a wrestler. Yeah. Well, I always thought that I had a unique name, uh, and initially I hated it, and I've now obviously come to love it, but. Um, I always thought it was unique. And when I'm signing up for these new services, all right, yeah. <laughs> I'm going, ah, grand Google, I get my email address here, grand, it's dustyroads at gmail.com. Ding, that name has been taken. <laughs> Would you like Dusty455? And I'm going, who are the other 454 Dusties? No. What the? <laughs> so actually, no, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a really common uh, nickname because you know kind of like when you're in school and stuff like that you know whatever your name is they always shorten it right and dusty is a very common abbreviation of uh, uh, of dusty and it will be quite well known in the states and as you say there was a uh, baseball player who played for the new york mets i think and his name is dusty Rhodes. And there was a, a wrestler, of course. He's a wrestler, a famous. Yeah, one, yeah. he's a, he, he's very famous. And yeah, because but the other DJ, I never heard of him, and I came across him, and uh, because and I thought at first I saw him, and I thought no, that's not Dusty's page. And then I write, but then I saw that he actually died, I think, in the last year or two. That that other DJ. Oh, there's a yeah, there's a ton of them. There's an absolute ton of them. Like you know, kind of a, a, like if you Google yourself, and I have done it a couple of times. Uh, just to see what's out there. I can never find myself. It's terrible. It's <laughs> you're terrible at the in bottom. In other ways, it's fantastic. Yeah, you're at the bottom of the dusty road list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very well. And, 
But like in the grand scheme of things, I'm just a little squirt from Ireland, which is a little squirt of a country anyway, in the global scheme of yes, things. You know yes, I mean? yes. So uh so no, I'm 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 not surprised. But there are plenty of dusty roads out there. Yeah, yeah but only only one inevitable dusty road, and uh, that's you. Oh yeah, my goodness. he's using the big words now. <laughs> the big words, yes. <laughs> I, I, I hope I spelled it as I was reading it off the board. Hope I spelled it right. <laughs> so, so obviously, then you were in Montrose, and mm. you know, you you decided to leave, and f- you found your digital audio productions. Tell us about that and the thought process about going and going out on your own and doing your own thing. I think it's just a case of I had that attitude. And again, as we were saying earlier, that I didn't want to be the one thing all my life. Or I think maybe, you know, one of my heroes in many ways was uh, was Larry Gogan, because I would have heard him on the radio as I was a, a teenager. And I was kind of, oh, I'd love to do what he does. Um, and who could blame him? Because he was on the radio from two to quarter past two, just before Woman's Hour. In yes, yes. Playing all the latest releases from CBS Records. And I went, you got to play pop music for 15 minutes and then you go home. I want that job. Um, but then, like, Larry was always on the radio. And bless him, do you know what? He he did it right up almost to his dying day. And he absolutely loved Heave. I got to know him a little bit. He absolutely loved it. That was his life. And that's it. He just loved music right to the end. I always kind of thought to myself, I don't want to go in and be known for doing the one thing. I think that's all that it was. And I had, you know, kind of, I'd done 10 years in RTE and I had the most amazing decade there. Did so many really cool things. Um, but I just needed to move on. I needed to change the scene or, or something. I don't know what it was. Uh, anyway, I saw an opportunity to make syndicated radio programs, so very high quality programs for uh, independent local radio. And the theory being very simple, in that if three stations got together to pay me to make a program, I'd be able to make them something very high quality that you could put on national radio. And then the theory being that if I got six stations to do that, sure, I'd be making loads of profit, wouldn't I? Or if you got 10 stations or whatever. So that's kind of what I got into with the digital audio productions. And somehow um, the amount of people come up to me and say, I don't know how you did it. (laughs) I think the more they say that, the more I look back and I go, I don't know how I did it <laughs> because essentially what you're doing is you, you are really selling coals to Newcastle. You're walking up to radio stations. You're going, do you want to buy a radio program? I must have been nuts when I think about it. <laughs> but explain, <laughs> explain how it works. Like you, they would, they would have a slot they needed filling or what, how would it no. work? I always believed that there was strength in numbers. And for example, we did a, feature on many local stations around the country called the Buzz Entertainment Update. And it was just a short little 60 second uh, uh, Now they're very commonplace today. Back then, nobody was doing them. But what we would do is we had two of our staff and their sole job was to go out and get interviews with Irish personalities from A all the way to Z. Uh, I get little interviews and we'd make stories about them and have little interview clips and then we were able to get interview clips in from the UK and what was going on there. And we'd have what was going on. You know, it took an awful lot of work, all right? And it was two people, as I say, full-time working on this to get out, you know, kind of, I think it was three or five episodes we did a day. They're only a minute each. However, um, one radio station would never do that on their own because they're not going to dedicate one or two members of staff just to do that, all right? But we were 
selling it into them and they would get it for free and the cost was literally a small sponsor name before the feature and after the feature so it wasn't costing them any money at all and we were able to go out and get a good sponsor because what we were able to say was well we have this program running five times a day on 15 radio stations across the country and when we look in the jnlr figures we can tell you that you know a hundred thousand or 150,000 people would hear your name on that feature every single day and there was a certain value with that and that made it worth our while to be able to employ those people and to spend that time putting that program together would it be then that that slot or that you know announcement or whatever it was would that be playing at the same time with those radio stations or would you have scheduled for each no, station uh, generally not no they, they, they would have their own time so we would say mid-morning have one playing in the breakfast show one mid-morning one in early afternoon one around tea time and one in the evening and that's the way and it was up to the radio stations where they wanted to do it uh another program that we did uh we did a top 40 if you go in the heron uh which was uh, an interesting project because again kind of difficult for a local radio station in that number one we get the license for the official irish chart and to have all the latest tunes and whatever but then also to have a presenter who was good and who was tight and sounded young and spoke fluent irish and was able to do top 40 show uh with irish links and the idea behind that was was really really simple it was just we just wanted to expose people to a little bit of irish without ramming it down their throat you know what i mean so you get a couple of tunes and there's somebody throwing in a bit of irish and you kind of go i think i even understood what he said <laughs> and you move on do you know what i mean it's a little pat on the back for yourself like. but no single station would have done that on their own so we created that we got some funding for it um and it was partly funded by uh, one of the Irish organizations, plus the radio stations were paying us a small fee for it uh, as well. And they would play that out at the weekends, but they would decide whatever, whenever they want to play it. Some did on a Saturday evening, some did on a Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, whenever. Like, you know, so it's up to the radio. Syndicated radio in the States is, is quite a big thing. And it kind of has the same principle behind it. It's because uh, you've got many radio stations broadcasting it. It means you can make a much bigger program because you're able to get a bigger audience and you can get more funding or money behind it. Uh, much bigger business in the States because, of course, we've got nearly a thousand radio stations across the country. And here's the thing as well that the, the great thing, obviously, in America is the digital, the DAB radio, the, the DAB. So I know you're a digital evangelist, but in Europe and in Ireland, I mean, it's such a shame because I remember the first time I ever went to New York and my friend picked me up and we got in the car and he turned on Sirius XM or whatever. And mm. it's all this DAB radio. And you mm. kind of think to yourself, wow, I mean, we can't really get the digital radio. We, we get it, but we're very limited to the stations where the great thing about digital radio in that respect is that you can say, oh, I like rock. I want to listen to a rock platform. Whereas in Ireland and in the UK, you're limited exclusively to kind of mixed modes per se. You might have the rock hour, but if you want to listen to a totally rock station, it's very difficult. Um, yeah, I, th I think the guys at Radio Nova would have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, no, they, they, no but they, they are there. But my point is that with digital radio, and DAB Radio, you have much more choice, don't you? I know exactly what you're saying, okay? Uh, and I am a real, because I grew up in an era in the late 70s and the early 80s where radio was not regulated and it was unlicensed and there were lots of pirates, 
meant that if you had the wherewithal to be able to build a transmitter, you could go on the air and you could do anything you want. And I remember in those days that we had, certainly in Dublin, a very varied and thriving radio industry. We had a country music station, we had an album station, we had a rock station, uh, we had a dance station, we had a top 40 station. There were lots of stations doing general stuff and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there was loads, loads of stuff. There was, I think there was a classic station, a love song station. That was all there. And then suddenly, you know, kind of Ireland went down the route of licensed radio, as it should have done. But because you were mapping out all of the frequencies according to the way they should be done, it meant there were a lot less frequencies available um, and therefore a lot less radio stations available. And it meant that the radio stations who were on had very little competition. So all they had to do was they had to do a little of everything for everybody and just kind of rake in the money. It's not like that anymore. But that's how it was then. I'm always a believer in... If you want to go on the air and you are able to do it and you could do so professionally and you could do so legally, well, then there should be nothing to stop you from doing that. And that's why I became a digital evangelist. And essentially what DAB is, is I describe it to people, it's very like FM, okay? You need to have a transmitter and you need to have an, an aerial and anybody who can see the aerial can hear what's coming from that transmitter, okay? So if you are in Kilkenny, you would be living near the transmitter of KCLR. If you're living in Dublin, you've got FM 104, 98FM, whatever. If you're in Galway, you've got Galway Bay FM. You live near their transmitter. Um, the problem with FM is that it's analog, which means only one radio station is allowed to, is capable of broadcasting on one area. What happens with digital is that everything gets turned into ones and zeros, which means that you can mesh a whole load of things together and then broadcast them using still one transmitter and one area. So you will be able to broadcast up to 20 different radio stations using one aerial with digital, whereas opposed on FM, it would only be one radio station. Now, I think the problem with this is if you owned one of the FM transmitters and you were the top dog and you were making the money, do you really want a transmitter opening up next door to you with 20 radio stations on it? giving people exactly what they want, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it was really because it wasn't popular with the commercial radio industry in Ireland uh, that DAB never really took off. Um, DAB became phenomenally popular in the UK because it was just, it was a different set of circumstances there. And you had a number of large radio groups in the UK, uh, especially in London, who had kind of satellite stations around the country and they were thinking well what if we could link them all together and eventually we would have a national radio station and DAB and digital radio is the route to doing that and that's why they went that way and I suppose as well because of online players like you know the RTE online player the BBC online player maybe now people go oh well if I want to hear different style radio stations I just go online so maybe that has kind of blocked that's DAB. Kind of, that's no. the other arg argument that I heard is that there's no point in doing digital because everything is the internet and the internet is the future. And they would all take out their smartphone and they would say, smartphone apps, that's the way it's going to be. And I would immediately go back to the people that ran the radio station and say, okay, that's fine. Uh, we've been streaming online radio for 20 years. We've been measuring online radio for 20 years. And it still only makes up 5% of your overall listening. 
Why? If it's that ubiquitous and everybody has it and everybody has a smartphone, why is it still that only 5% of radio listening is done by that? And it's very simple. It's that when's the last time you picked up your phone just to listen to the radio? And if you did, what happened when you had somebody pinged you on Facebook or sent you a WhatsApp message or a phone call came in or any of the other myriad of things that will happen when you because it's a multifunctional device and there's so it's much it. like, you know, just to listen to the radio. It's insane. Whereas the. You're right, I am a digital evangelist. Aren't I? I'm getting very passionate now. So. <laughs> no, that's good. I like this. I like but this. the great thing about radio is that it sits in the corner. You turn it on. It'll be tuned to the station that you don't really listen to anyway. It will deliver you the music that you like, according to the radio station. You get a little bit of news. You get a bit of company. It fills the house with sound. It's a no-brainer, and you can go off and do other things. You could even look at your smartphone and still have the radio playing uninterrupted in the corner. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> but, but, you know... I think, you know, I think obviously there's a huge avenue for digital radio and DAB. I think it's it's something that should come in because with everything, it's mm. great to have more choice. And as you said, with the online players, there's something you're focused on, but then you're distracted by something else. Whereas for me, I think the DAB, the great part about it is if you can work it in the car, if it works in the car, like it does in Europe and the States and some places, and your car can pick up DAB radio, it's brilliant. Because there's so many great stations, you know. And like even for, let's say, Irish people, if they want to tune into Sirius XM or one of these stations in America, I mean, we should be able to do that. We're limited a little by the frequencies and everything now and what's available. If you want to listen to Howard Stern, you have to go online. And if that is entirely, we could have had Howard Stern if we wanted to in, in Ireland. The um, uh, Sirius XM that you're talking about in the States, that is digital radio, but their delivery is, is a little different um, because the country is so massive that it's satellite. So they're beaming the signal down from a, a satellite in space, not from a local uh, antenna. So it's, right, it's right. different. But essentially, as you describe it, it is digital radio because it's carrying, you know, kind of 10, 20, 50, 100 different radio stations on the same signal. It's all ones and zeros. Uh, and it needs to be de-digitized when it arrives into your radio and then turn into sound. Yes, yes, yes. But and it works quite well. Here's another thing, right? That I'm I, as a as a professional broadcaster, I want to get your opinion on this because when musicians in Ireland, you know, they look at the state of radio in Ireland, and you know exactly where I'm going with this question. Um, the big gripe. Uh, there's two two angles to this story. The big gripe is that there's not enough Irish music played on the radio. But also, what I've kind of discovered over the last few years is that there's not enough Irish women being played on Irish radio, where the margin is really low compared to the male singers. So you face this question and been asked this probably a million times, but it's all down to commercial stations, really, isn't it? Because they have to play the hits. It's down to the listener. Because the listeners want to hear what they want to hear and what they know. And they don't want to be educated with new music. They'll eventually pick up new songs for a little bit here and a little bit there. But they, you know, a lot of people like music, but not so many people are fans of music. So I would consider myself probably a music fan because I'm interested in what's going on. Whereas my wife kind of, yeah, she likes music and she put the radio on mm. and something yeah. would come up. She goes, oh, what yeah. is that? And she said it a few times. Um, 
The trick with radio and the job of radio broadcaster is to keep the person listening for as long as possible by giving that person, the listener, the best program that we are capable of. It's not to talk radio, it's to have the best topics and the best presenter and the best contributors to the talk program. If it's music radio, it's playing exactly the kind of music that you want to hear. And 98% of people want to hear the songs that they know and that they like and that they are comfortable with. All right? Yes, but, but, but the one thing is that they only get to know them because the station plays them continuously. So, I mean, mo you, know, you know that old argument I say to you, listen, Justy, have you heard this new song by Depeche Mode? I'm so happy you said Depeche Mode, who are, as we know, a station from England. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> because the point I was making was that it's nothing to do with Irish artists. It's the problem for everybody. The record companies are calling the radio station going, Taylor Swift has a new song out. And the radio stations are going, well, our listeners don't know it, so we're not going to play it until they know it. We might give a few tunes just to kind of... And that's only Taylor Swift because she has got a track record as being only the biggest selling music artist on planet Earth as it is at the time, right? So if radio stations are being like that, what are they going to be like with a four-piece combo from Gold? that nobody's heard of outside of Galway. Do you know what I mean? So it's nothing to do with Irish or Irish music or anything like that. It's just the nature of commercial radio in that you give the people, the public get what the public wants. All right? And that's what you, you're giving them. Now, it's up to where you find people breaking through these days with music is if... This is the thing with, with music. This is the thing with so many things in life, with movies, with books, any kind of creative endeavor. It, you can make something brilliant, and just for some unknown reason, it'll never be it. You can make something terrible, and oh my God, we've had some terrible <laughs> records. <laughs> All right? And they are enormous <laughs> hits. <laughs> All right? So you just can't really tell what's going to make it and, and, and what isn't. You know, but a lot of people seem to get like they might get picked up on uh, on TikTok videos or something like that. For some reason, people just go and the, and the, like that. Jerusalem was was a very interesting song that was all over TikTok, all right, and that was being bought in droves by people on um on the Apple iTunes and the other uh, places you can download music from. There's we listened to in droves on Spotify, but for some reason, radio just never played it. I don't know why. It just never took off with radio. And I kind of go, that's strange. Like, I'm looking at the 10 most played songs in Ireland, and I am looking at the 10 most purchased songs in Ireland. They do not correlate. <laughs> All right? They don't go together. And, I'll and I actually, now I'm going to answer my own question. I know exactly why they don't correlate. Because you only need to sell somewhere in the region of 1,000, maybe, say, 5,000 or whatever happens to be. It's not a huge amount, okay? in order to go to number one. And the way that it's worked in the charts is that you need X thousand to get to number one and you kind of be in that area for the top five, maybe a little less for, for, the, for the top 10. That once you get beyond that, the numbers get really small. And you could have a song of your own in the charts at number 25 or number 20 or whatever, and you sold 200 copies and that's it. Which means that 200 people liked your song enough to spend 69 cent buying it on iTunes. Now, radio stations go all that and go, that is not <laughs> a massively popular tune. It needs to prove itself a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? So that's 
that's kind of where 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 they're getting at. And I, I I just I do think it's interesting when you look at what's popular on YouTube. It's like I'll tell you, uh, sales wise, rap music is selling like you wouldn't believe at the moment. Okay, if you look at the Irish chart, it's all of these um, uh, black rap, white rap, whatever it is, and it's all rap, all right. Uh, and I kind of think hmm, that's interesting. And then you look at what's been played on the radio. None of it. None of it. All right. Even if you look at the so-called youth radio stations, okay, so you've got Beat and you've got iRadio, you've got Spin, they're not playing it either. They play some of it, not a lot. It's kind of like, well, that's it. so it's interesting how where I'm saying that, you know, you give the people what they want doesn't necessarily mean you give the people what they yes. sold. Well, I suppose the argument that some people have is that when it comes to new music that radio DJs or program directors or whoever are breaking, they are sometimes making the choices. Whereas, let's say, some people kind of believe that they should play the music and then let the people decide rather than make the decision about what's good or what's bad. Ah, yes. But how did the people decide? The people decide by turning to another radio station, but turning the radio off and then they're gone. So it's kind of a it's a vicious it's a vicious circle really because there's a fear of if we play that then they'll go away. I don't know. Um, I don't know. If fear is the word to use, but I do know that people. It, it, there's two stories I'll give you. All right. One is where this whole top forty format came out of, and I think it was in the fifties. And the history of radio is just is phenomenal, and particularly on the American side of things. Uh, and with Marconi, everybody says Marconi invented radio, okay? And he did, all right? Um, and he did all the sparks in the Morse code. Did it cross Marconi's head that maybe <laughs> no. he voice or maybe some music on this thing? Not at all. No, that was a Canadian guy who came up with that, you know? Um, anyway, radio had its golden age in the 2030s, I suppose, maybe a bit of the 40s in the States. And then the talkies and the movies came along. Um, and then that was taking a lot away from uh, radio. Then you had uh, television, the, adv the uh, advance of television in the 50s in the, in the States was just phenomenal. It was like wildfire. It, it took off as fast as the internet did in, in our age. And all of a sudden, you've got all of these radio stations who had been relying on drama and variety programs and live recitals. And, uh, all of, uh, what are you going to do? Anyway, uh, in the 50s, there's this guy uh, who is an entrepreneur. Uh, he happens to own a radio station. It's one of his businesses. He is sitting in a burger joint, loads of kids in all night or whatever, and he just notices the jukebox. And the first thing he noticed, right, was that uh, all the kids were playing Danny and the Juniors at the hop. All right. And even though they would have only played it 10 minutes beforehand, somebody else would go in and put another quarter in and play that darn song again. All right. You have this all night long. So that was interesting thing number one that he found, right? The second interesting thing that he found was that he was the last one to leave. And the uh, waitress was going around. She was sweeping the floor. She was tidying up. She went over to the jukebox. She put in her quarter. And what song do you think? She <laughs> really? Danny and the Danny and the Juniors, which had been playing all night. Okay. And it's just one of those things in life that when we like something, when we like a song, we like to hear it over and over. Get stuck in your head. It's stuck in your head. And this is where this top 40 format came along. And the gist of the format is 
people will have maybe an hour to listen to the radio. So we want to jam in all the best songs within that hour, which is where you got very tightly formatted radio stations where you would play a song uh, and then 90 minutes later it would play again because it would be a whole new audience. Now, imagine me with my little job on Atlantic 252, right, where you're doing six-hour shifts and you're playing the same darn songs every 90 minutes. Did my head in. Um, now and ever. Um, what made me laugh in Sunshine and with Atlantic because they were very highly formatted stations where people would always complain, all right? Because, ah, Dusty, I don't like listening to your show. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, right? Some of the music you play is dreadful, okay? So let's say Simply Red and Tina Turner, okay? They both have the biggest songs out of the day, okay? So they are both on our A-list, which means that they both get played every 90 minutes. There is no difference, okay? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this person go, you, oh, I'll tell you, you're always playing that bloody Simply Red. It's shush, <laughs> all right? And you never play Tina Turner. I never hear her. <laughs> And that's oh, not true. Uh, exactly. But we don't register the stuff that we like. We just go, da 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 Okay? It's only when you get to something that you don't like that you go, what's that on again for? And that's why you don't have radio stations to this day playing new songs that haven't broken. Because a lot of people would go, what is that? Ugh, turn it off. Which is the death knell. Any radio station. Yeah, see, I, I think, you know, there's always this thing where people are really like sheep a lot of the time. And, you know, you'll always have that friend, as I was mentioned earlier, who you will say, this is a great song, and they won't have any interest. And then they'll come back a week later and say, have you heard this great song by this band? And you're like, I told you last week. There's always that argument. So the point is that sometimes something is played so much that it stays in our head and then we, we might think we hate it, but deep down, we might really like it. So it's really hard to know how the brain works in that whole scenario, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's all just, it's like comfort food. And we like what we're familiar with. We don't necessarily like new things. You know, it's like when we go on holidays, we go to Spain. Yes. Because the food is familiar and sure they all speak English. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about dust pod, you know, and obviously... When, when you were working with Digital Audio Productions, and I know you, you had a stint and you went back to classic hits, sorry, went to classic hits for a few years. But when you started DustPod, you know, and did you kind of see a market there that there's lots of new podcasts and there's a whole new industry here? Uh, I think I was, it, it was just as COVID was breaking and I was kind of going, oh, okay, here we go. Um, any big change like that is a change. All right. Some people take it as a disaster. Some people see it as opportunity. I always look for the opportunity. Um, and I remember back in 2008 with the crash there. And what I always said to people was, I believe there's a recession, but I've decided not to take part. <laughs> and they would smile. Um, but you know what? It actually, that mental attitude uh, helped me because just that positivity and, and business went on as normal. Uh, this time around, everybody's movement was restricted. There was so much change in society, not just, you know, kind of financially, but the way we did things or how we were able to interact, even shaking hands. We couldn't even shake hands anymore. That's a monumental change. And it did affect my business and what I was doing at the moment, DAB being one of the things um, and the way that we were set up and some of the customers we were working with uh, didn't make it through. And I was just kind of thinking, what am I going to do next? 
So I did what I usually do. Was, uh, I sat for about two weeks and I said, all right, let's come up with a whole load of ideas. And the one that came out kind of top of the pile was podcasting. And the reason it did is because radio is in my blood. I've been doing it all my life. I made syndicated programs, which is kind of a little bit like podcasts in some ways. They're pre-recorded and sit out places. Uh, and I went, okay, um, let's do this. And I decided that I wasn't going to go back into radio because been there, done that. Um, but I saw that there is definitely an opening for um, corporate podcast because for a corporation or for any kind of a business or a brand, audio is another fantastic way to talk to your listeners. And especially with podcasting just seemed to take off. We had six years growth in podcasting in six months over COVID. It was phenomenal. It was kind of like the, the little star of the uh, of the pandemic. I, I think it tripled, didn't it? I read somewhere the numbers tripled oh, um, the amount of podcasts. Yeah, it exploded, like you know, and as, as many things. Do you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden, like you know, we're all zooming each other all of a sudden, like you know, kind of. Well, we started doing a lot more things, so everyone's kind of aware of podcasts, and there was a podcasting app on every smartphone, but nobody used it because we we're all too busy running around. All of a sudden, we're stuck in our house. Look, that's fine. What am I doing next? Uh, and podcasting took off. Uh, podcasting is a terrific way for. Uh, a corporation to engage with people and actually i think the word engage is is the correct thing i've been doing podcasts since 2006 and the reason we got involved in it then is because i'm just into gadgets <laughs> and it was kind of the latest thing oh this is what we're radio programs on your, on your on your ipod oh we'd have to try that like you know so uh and, and one of the podcasts we did initially was with accountancy ireland it was a podcast that I really enjoyed making. You kind of think accountancy. Oh, God. Um, I was just kind of interested in accountancy and business and the way those things work. So that's why it kind of struck a chord with me. And Accountancy Ireland is a magazine that is read by all of the accountancy firms across the country and chartered accountants. All right. But what they wanted to do was they wanted to give their subscribers another level of engagement. And even though you can sit down and read the magazine and have the, the latest interview with, you know, kind of Simon Kay from Bank of Ireland or AIB or whatever it happens to be, um, you can't hear what they're saying. And you know yourself, like even now listening to the podcast, you know, kind of people are listening to your voice and to my voice and going, I wonder what he looks like. Hey, you know, he sounds like a bit of a dick or he sounds okay or he talks too fast. I don't like his accent. It's too mid-Atlantic, whatever it happens to be. Um and you get that whole different side of an interview that you would not get from just the written form. All right. Um, the other nice thing about podcasting and where it's kind of come in now is that if you have an interest, because we're used to now as a society being able to get great information about whatever it is that interests us, there are so many podcasts out there about very, very niche topics. And when you get into like a really niche topic about whatever, for me, it will be, you know, kind of uh, American radio DJs of the 50s, 60s and 70s. I'd listen to that all day long, like, you know, and I would happily listen to a two, three hour interview of somebody just telling stories of the good old days. Like, you know, it would be me and 27 other people. <laughs> but nevertheless, we would get. Well, I, I think I think that's what it is about DJs or not DJs, sorry, about podcasts now is that you, you, you know, whether it's Joe Rogan or Mark Maron or any of these. 
what I do is I go to their channel and I say, okay, oh, this guest, I like, they look interesting or they sound, or I know this guest, you know, I follow them. Yeah. So out of every, for example, if I listen to Joe Rogan, I might listen to three out of every 10 podcasts because mm-hmm. the other guests, uh, if I stumble upon them or listen by accident and go, oh, actually, they were interesting. So that's the thing about niches. Sometimes with niche, you listen to every episode. And I know even with my podcast, someone might only listen to one out of every four. Well, what you have with uh, corporate podcasts, and this is what I think is really interesting, is that people who generally work in an industry are actually really interested in that industry. Right. And what's going on in that industry and what's going on with companies within that industry and what's going on with certain experts within that industry. And it's kind of, I never thought I would be making a podcast, not about air conditioning, okay, but about the filters that go into air conditioners. Right. And you know what? It's fascinating because I'm interviewing people from all over Europe. They work for a big global brand called uh, uh, Camfil. And they are really passionate about getting microscopic bits of dirt and germ out of the air before it gets into your office. And to listen to them speaking and the things they thought of and the way that they do and we can do this, that and the other. And then other people who are also into the industry are like, how do they do that? Do you know what I mean? And you can end up having a conversation for 15, 20 minutes or a half an hour with this person about the kind of work they do and really get into the nitty gritty. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that because like my other job, you know, is an English teacher. And the one thing through my years of teaching English, um, especially here in Spain, is that I like to get into the minds of my students. So I could be working in an aircraft engineering company or a technology company. And I will sit down and I will talk to them and I will garner information. So then the next student comes in and I'd say, oh, yeah, you're working on that new project. And I'll start talking about it. And they'll say to me, how do you know about that? And I'm like, what do you mean? You say, that, like, that's, that's kind of new information. And I'd say, well, the last guy told me. And I, was, I retained this information. But I'm really curious because I love getting the information. And people love to talk to people like that because they feel they're on their wavelength. Now, there you go. The connection is there. And that's why this particular way of conveying information and what it is that you're doing works very well in podcasting format because people like they engage with it. They have, as I always say with podcasts, people need to, first of all, have heard of your podcast. Then they need to have found it. Then they need to have looked it up on their player. Then they need to have looked at the description. Then they need to have looked through the episode list before they decide, I'll listen to one. All right. Yes. So you really want to be on track. They're really into what you do before. It's like a bad. Play. It's like it's it's like a bad Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> so when somebody presses play, they're already kind. And if you do a good job and deliver what they expect, well, then they will listen. And people do. It's one of the great things about podcasting is is that if you're on target, people will listen to seventy five or eighty percent of your podcast. And a lot of times, one hundred percent of the of the entire podcast. And where do you get that kind of attention these days? It's like, no kidding, you spend thousands and thousands and thousands of euro on a video, you put it on your website, and if people haven't got it in the first five seconds, they move on. In five seconds, you know? Whereas podcasts have people listening for a half an hour. Now, I will say this, and I have to applaud, okay? The person listening to us right now, there are two little voices in your ears, for the last whatever it's over an hour an hour and a half or whatever listen it's just simon and dusty just rabbiting on <laughs> i hope you found what we're talking about entertaining 
<laughs> what happens is, you know, I've had people say to me, I didn't even realize the two hours went by or the hour and a half it, because I was into that person's life or whatever, and I was engaged. And the thing is, I think that's the trick. You know, you might listen to one podcast about cricket and after 20 minutes go, I'm not into it. But you could listen to another podcast about an aircraft engineer, his life and everything he's gone through. And you go, wow, that really struck a chord in me. I loved his story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and that's what I'm saying. Podcasts are great for engagement because people are into it. And then if they have the time to be listening for an hour, an hour and a half. I mean, you're right. You've mentioned Joe Rogan a, a, a number of times. I really don't understand where people get three and a half hours to listen to that podcast. It's beyond me. But maybe they go on really, really long drives. <laughs> well, I find with, I find with me that the, most of the time I listen to Joe Rogan is if I'm doing some uh, DIY or carpentry work or something around the house and I'm, I'm actually doing something for two or three hours and I have my AirPods in and I'm working. And then I, I sometimes even listen to two shows because I could be half a day doing something. But what's mad is since I started doing podcasting, I don't listen to as much podcasts because you're always thinking of the editing. <laughs> you have enough. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you know, I've been listening to not a lot less uh, since I started. A lot less. And, and the, the one thing I want to ask you as well: How do you feel about radio shows who now obviously record their show and release it as podcasts? Do you think that's fair game or do you think they're just cashing in on the podcast thing? It all depends because maybe you're on at a time of day that people don't listen to you or don't have the time or they don't want the music, but they like the presenter. So, yeah, absolutely put it out. Uh, one of the best people who has done radio uh, with their podcast uh, was a guy in the UK called uh, Chris Moyles. Chris Moyles, yes, I know. He did the breakfast show on Radio 1. And... Um, He's kind of like I like I like the way he did it because firstly they did a weekly show so they put the best bits of their radio one breakfast show into the podcast right so there was a, I mean that's they they're top of their game they were on the biggest radio station because there was a lot of good stuff to go in there right but he went the extra mile then and he had the first ten or fifteen minutes was with him with the crew in the studio just doing stuff just for the podcast and doing stuff that they could not do on air. All right, uh, and telling little stories of it, and you felt you really felt like you were part of the background scene kind of a club, you know, not just listening to the highlights. So I kind of thought that was quite good. Uh, I think I've seen news talk the way they do Pat Kenny is they literally just cut Pat Kenny up. So many people have wanted to over the years, but they will literally do like he will do an interview for fifteen minutes with somebody, and like that will be one podcast. Yes, you know what I mean, and another interview we did with somebody else will be ten minutes. It's like, what are you doing that for? You, you know, um, but there's different schools of thought, and it all depends in in how you're using it. So, listening to a podcast for a good chunk of time, and by that I mean thirty, sixty, ninety minutes, or Joe Rogan, whatever, three hours. You want to go that way, all right? Uh, you need to have something consistent all the way through. So that could be the best bits of our talk show, or the best of you know, kind of a uh, live line from during the week or whatever happens to be. All right, that's great. I know what I'm getting, right? Uh, or else yourself, myself talking. These people know it's me and I'll be talking to you for whatever uh, duration of time. But then there's another school of thought that is saying now with the smart speakers that are coming in, where people are going to want very, very short pieces of audio content. So it's like literally kind of, they will say, okay, um, 
play me today FM. Give me gift grub. Played this morning's gift grub from today FM. All right, it's a three set. It's a three minute comedy bit, and that will be available on its own. Um, so it all depends on that. That and that is kind of like that's the crazy thing for radio, which I don't think they get as an industry in some ways. Um, is that we are now all content makers, and um, with Ray, and it means then that like you know kind of. <laughs> The great thing was when you ran a radio station 20 years ago, you knew you had to keep the program going on the speaker. Now you've got to put in video updates. You've got to do short podcasts. You've got to do long podcasts. You've got to do articles. You've got to keep all your social media updated. You've got to have fun pictures up here online. And half the time you're doing it just to fill the space to be in there, not necessarily serving your audience with, with what they want. And it amazes, I'm going to be very old man, right? Very old man now at this stage, right? But the amount of stories I see that radio stations are putting up on their websites as news stories is just shocking. And quite often it is, somebody put up this funny tweet and here's what people said. Other tweets, other tweets, other tweets. Do you know what I mean? Or um, I'm trying to think of something like, you know, kind of, oh, massive shock reaction to England winning the Euros, if they do. We don't know. We'll find out after. Breaking news. Contest. Breaking news. This is what it'll be, right? And that'll be the story. And you would expect to be how it happened, who they played, how they won, the reaction, what the manager said, da, 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 da. No. What we get is they weren't born there. And here's what Johnny Jojo said on Twitter. <laughs> oh, my. And then you get all these comments. It's like, that's the news story. Oh, my. Oh. It's all shock now. And it's, it's trying to bring you to another place. Click the link. Or... No, I don't know. It's not even that. Whatever about shock will bring you to another place. But it's, it's like the news story is about what other people said. I saw a, a fantastic comedian. And I can't remember her name. French comedian, I believe, and she was saying uh, Twitter is terrible because she says, do you know how you go out on a Friday night, all right, and you would just put out an opinion to whoever you're drinking with, all right, your buddies who you know and you trust, and you go, oh, I think blah, 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 all right, and you put out loads and loads of opinions, all right, and, and the drunker you get, the more ridiculous the opinions get, all right, and the next morning you wake up and you take all this in and you think about it as you're lying there and recovering. And then all of a sudden, you have a concerted way line of thinking about whatever was the, the topic was the night before. She says the problem these days is that people now just put out their occasional random utterings on Twitter. And people take that as an informed source of information. <laughs> it's mad. It is nuts. The world has gone mad. Like we have misinformation, disinformation. But as you said, random mutterings of young people who have still a lot, lot to learn, old people who are bigoted and their their opinion stays out there. So, I mean, it's really tricky nowadays and you don't know what to believe. I mean, the worst part for me now, if I'm on Instagram or TikTok or anything and I look and I go, wow, that's interesting. The first thing you think, is it real? <laughs> that's what you always think because everything's fake now. Well, now. You turn around and you say that the world is crazy these days. And that, uh, and I don't think that it is. I think as a human race, uh, we are the same as we have been for centuries and centuries and centuries. And just the way we do things changes. But what we actually do stays the same. And the reason I'm asking you now 
is do you remember your parents when you were young okay yeah which is you know for both of us a little while ago all right do you remember your parents saying believe only half of what you see and none of what you know what you hear yeah exactly all right now that's going back in my case that's going back to the 70s yeah yeah no and it's kind of like your mother saying, if Johnny jumped off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff? You know? <laughs> yeah, if you put his hand in the fire. <laughs> if you fall off that tree and break your leg, don't come running to don't me. Don't come running to me. Uh, so listen, Dusty, I'm going to let you go. But what I want to ask you is, last kind of question, for you now, you know, for the next year or two, do you have new ambitions or things you want to achieve? Or are you going to kind of grow this dust pod more and more? Uh, my immediate plan, yeah, is just to grow this pod more and more and sell it. There you go. That's it in a that, nutshell. That's it. That's a good nutshell. That's the good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Get that's, it, that's the plan. <laughs> Simon's going, oh dear. No, 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 no. That's a good plan. I like that plan. But I mean, that's, that's the way now, you know, create something, make it successful and move on and move on to the next thing. And as well, as you said, enjoy your life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always, I, I tend, I think I'm a little bit entrepreneurial in that I love getting involved in a new project and getting it up off the ground. But once it finds its legs and starts running, I kind of get a bit bored. I need to, I need to find the next thing. So, uh, so that's very much what I have in mind with, uh, with Dust Pod at this time. Just, you know, build up lots of great podcasts. Uh, and our niche is definitely working for brands and it's working for uh, corporations and companies. Uh, for marketing agencies, PR agencies, that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, what we want to do is we want to find out what is their voice and how can we put that out in such a way that it will attract their people, their audience, and engage with them. You know? Brilliant. So that's, that, that's our thing. I'm not interested in, I don't want to be the number one podcast on iTunes. Um, I'm not interested in being famous. Um, not, not, none of that. That's that's my ambition is to be able to make a really good podcast for for a brand or a corporation, and to get it out there so that uh, they find new customers. Brilliant. Well, listen, Dusty, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I have fond memories of listening to you on the radio, and you know it's great to speak to you in person, and it's wonderful to hear all your stories about coming up as a young DJ and to where you've got to now, and you've achieved a lot. So you know, thank you for your your time during your radio days, and and you know. Good luck with everything you're going to do in the future. And thanks for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Dusty Broad, everybody. Thanks, Simon. Okay, Dusty, thank you very much. That was a really interesting interview. And we enjoyed hearing all your stories about working in 252, RTE2 FM, and taking us back through time, listening to you on those radio shows. And we wish you the best with your dust pod. And we hope that everything works out for you in the next year or two. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for coming on the show. And as usual, take care of yourself, take care of your, of your family. My name is Simon K. This is the Collective Whisper Podcast, and we've enjoyed having you here. All the best. Bye-bye.